0: Before Mando, we had Lando. I mean, that's true in any case, but my point is, what better way to review Solo, a Star Wars story, than, well, Solo. You look
1: good. A little rough around
0: the edges, but good. Heard about a job. Big shot gangster, putting together crew. I'm a driver, and I'm a flyer. I waited a long time for a shot like this. What do you think? Oh. Well, what do you know?
1: Hello, listeners. I was mostly wrong about *Solo*, a Star Wars story. That's the that's the title of the thing. You probably saw that. Um, it's probably worth mentioning that this is going to be. Uh, a slow, meandering, boring episode uh, So it's going to be like usual uh, The only difference is My good friend will not be joining us It's just me um, Which, under normal circumstances, will be a shame But I think under these circumstances It's probably a good thing uh, Because <laughs> As with most Star Wars related things Although our opinions do not differ that much Both our thoughts on Most Star Wars subjects go All over the shop Um, and solo is no exception in fact solo may be the most confusing aspect of the star wars canon at least cinematically i've ever seen i've never been more confused about my feelings towards a film since well i guess rogue one actually to be fair so it wasn't that long ago but i've my mind has settled on rogue one and i think it's fine um but for a long time but ever since I saw this film, which I only saw once in the cinema on it, when it came out, I thought it was absolute trash. Um, and I thought it was definitely not as good as Rogue One, which even itself, I didn't think was that good. I think a lot of people, I understand why people loved it, but I, I was always slightly confused why people loved a film which didn't have any characters. But but that's, that's besides the point. But now I have rewatched it. And I'm almost annoyed to say that I think it's definitely better than Rogue One. Um, not by a, I mean that being said, not by a humongous margin, but still. Um, and I guess I'm going to try and hash this out. This isn't the first time I've done this. Um, I did the, pretty much exactly this when uh, the Rise of Skywalker came out. I did pretty much, when this when this podcast first started. I did a video on my own where I just talked about my hypothesis at the time which I think still kind of stands that uh Star Wars fans are ruining the Star Wars films obviously the irony is not lost on me that I was complaining that Star Wars fans as a Star Wars fan that they were ruining a Star Wars movie as I was talking about a Star Wars movie but to be fair I was actually being quite an apologist for that film because I thought people were very unfair to it in many ways which I still stand by I don't. I don't think my my feelings towards it have not aged brilliantly since then. I've actually taken that that episode down as well because I thought it was a bit. It was me being a little bit too much of an ass and whinging too much. Uh, So I'm going to try and do less of that. Though for the record, in terms of the uh, the sequel trilogy, I still stand by everything I said. Not that you know what I said because I've deleted it. But basically, what I said was stop telling filmmakers how to make films. You probably don't know how how to do it just let, just watch the films or don't that's that's a good idea anyway um i'm saying this i'm about to spend probably an extended period of time talking about a film which i do still have quite a lot of complaints to make about um though far less than i used to so that's nice um i suppose i suppose the main thing i have to get out of the way that kind of explains pretty much All of my confused feelings towards this film is that I thought, well, okay, this is the first thing that I was wrong about. The first thing I was wrong about was that it's not made for me. Now, when this film was announced, um, that then released, I thought, oh, okay, this is kind of unusual. I guess they're trying to, you know give people a fun origin story for a character they've loved for many years, even though no one, as far as I recall, asked for that. Um, Not that that was going to stop Disney to try and make some money out of it. Considering most people were asking for origin stories for someone like Boba Fett, who didn't really have one. And I guess we've kind of got the start of that now, but whatever. Um, But I was wrong about that. It wasn't made for me at all. It was made, rightly so for the new generation, the generation that who started with The Force Awakens. And I think a lot of what this film has done makes a lot more sense when you view it like that. And that, might, that fact in itself might annoy you, I understand. It still kind of annoys me. Um, but if the only thing you've seen of Han Solo is The Force Awakens and to some extent his cameos in the Subsequent film, wait, is he? He doesn't have any th- role in No, he doesn't even show up at all in Last Jedi, does he? Um, spoilers, <laughs> by the way. Oh, fuck it, who cares? If you're watching this, if you're listening to this, rather, you've definitely seen all these films. Uh, it would be insane for you not to have done, unless you haven't watched that because you think you're gonna hate it. In which case, I don't think I can help you. I, if you haven't, if you started watching Star Wars with the sequels then you probably should watch it because you'll probably get more out of it than I did. Um But if you started at the originals or at the prequels like I did, you will probably not get an awful lot out of it unless you're prepared to suspend a lot of your opinions and thoughts of the Star Wars canon, which as a Star Wars fan is a very difficult thing to do. But really, we should be able to do that. And I think the most recent time I've watched this, which caused me to do this, I was able to enjoy it in that light, which was nice. Um, however, that's quite rare to be able to do with a film like this. Um, so, I, this will come up a lot. There's a lot of elements especially regarding Han's character and what they tried to do with him. Um, especially rushing some elements and kind of I mean, whitewashing is the wrong word, but kind of I don't know, nice guy washing the character a little bit for people. Because I mean, again, if you'd only seen The Force Awakens, your opinion of Han is... I don't know, it's hard to know what it would be, really, because you'd get the gist of him. You'd get the gist of him being a bit, you know, a renegade, slightly sarcastic, talks his way out of problems, um, is quite simple and down to earth, but also has sort of emotionally connective problems, especially with the way he fled, you know. It's funny how people accepted how he fled from everyone, and yet they didn't accept that Luke did. It's funny, it's almost as if characters can be flawed. Anyway, Um so I suppose all people who'd only seen him from that movie would want to see in terms of an origins would just be a fairly run-of-the-mill sort of snapshot of what he is as a character. Now, obviously, the obvious answer to that is, well, why didn't you watch the fucking original trilogy? Because they're amazing. And Han in them is amazing, with... You know, slight exceptions to some elements of Return of the Jedi, but really, I feel like that's another thing that people blow out proportion way too much. Um, but alas, you know, Disney need their money baths, and and I'm not about to start chastising global capitalism today. Mm. Um, so it makes it makes some sense, you know, makes some sense why they made it. Um, and uh, to be honest, under the circumstances, I think they did a pretty Damn good job of putting that together. There's a lot of this film that makes me wish it wasn't a Star Wars film, however, or at least makes me wish it was set in the Star Wars universe, but with characters ex- almost exclusively that we'd never seen before. Because, as we'll get to, there are a, a fair few characters in this story. Well, <laughs> yeah, that's that's a true fact itself. But there are a fair few characters in this story, exclusively who are really genuinely good characters in their own right, who have, you know, nothing to do with the main plot line, who haven't been even referenced as far as I'm aware, unless it's, you know, they've been referenced in comics and shit, but no one, you know, no one like me cares about that sort of thing. So um, it frustrates me that that a lot of, of the characteristics of Han Solo, the character, get kind of l- sort of lulled into it. I think that's, I think, no, I think about it, I think yeah that's a that's a phrase sure um that that was why I was irritated with. that's why I was angry at it everything I got annoyed with was stemmed f- from that fact um so yeah it's not made for me that's that's a that's a given I probably should have realized that sooner shouldn't I anyway um the second thing that I was wrong about was Alden uh, Ehrenreich, er- Her- Erin Reich I believe that's how it's pronounced Alden Erin Reich His performance was not shit. I don't know why I thought it was shit. That was insane of me to do. Um, His performance is fantastic. Not only for um, recreating the sort of the mannerisms and the movement and the facial expressions of uh, of what the fuck is his name? Harrison Ford. Jesus, that's upsetting. My friend will not be happy that I took more than two seconds to think of his name. Not only um, doing that, which by the way he does exceptionally, um, but there are several shots in the film where you really can see it, Um, and I that's you know really really excellent, like really well done, like on the level of Michael Fassbender's ability to look like uh, young Ian McKellen in X Men First Class, seriously well done, Um, but also in being able to create a believable. Origins for a character who would become morally jaded. I mean, that, although a spanner gets thrown in the works in that because the writing doesn't really sort of fill in for that performance, I think that's a bit of an annoying disconnect that happens. I feel like Alden was told he was going to be performing a role, which didn't really end up happening. So it ended up being much more in the Marvel vein of characters being. Kind of a dick and being told that they're complex whilst actually being fairly simplistic in their motivations on the whole. Which again, you know, I'm a massive, you know, shill for the Marvel Cinematic Universe, so I'm not going to complain too hard lest I look like a complete fool. <laughs> but yeah, Alden gives a fantastic performance, and in some ways, I'd be happy for him to do something else in a TV show or something where he's Han. Either having said that, I don't, I don't want them to do that. Christ knows, Disney, if you're listening, please don't do that. If you can avoid it, please don't do that. Because generally speaking, making prequels is just look. No disrespect to any to any particular prequel, because Christ knows there's plenty of films I love that are prequels. Some of them, Star Wars prequels. <gasps> um, but but in general, it's a it's a it's a. I shouldn't get into this now. That's going to come up in the criticisms bit, isn't it? Um, <laughs> Yeah, all right. So, that's two. Third thing, as I alluded to, um, Dryden Voss and Beckett are really, really fantastic characters. Um, I kind of, I kind. Of, this was not something I was necessarily wrong about when I first watched it. I did enjoy um, their inclusions in the story, but I don't think I appreciated sort of how well they were blended into the story and how seamless and how much I didn't really notice that, you know. They were, you know, very easily standing up to the mantle of being Star Wars villains, which is difficult to do. Um, you know, Rogue One proved it by. Well, OK, uh, this is another one that's confusing because Director Krennic from Rogue One is a good villain in the sense that you don't like him and he's very theatrical. And Ben Mendelssohn does a great job of that. But weirdly, he kind of, more than anything, just represents the extension of Grand Moff Tarkin and Darth Vader and the Empire as a whole and a person who Jyn Erso shouldn't like because he did wasn't nice to her dad or her dad didn't particularly like him. It's not, you know, it's not the most compelling stuff, as with most of the characters I mean, I let I let most of that stuff go because Ben Mendelsohn is fantastic, and I think everyone's aware that he is just being used as a sort of porn character because they don't really want to. That sounded wrong. I don't. I mean, chess. Anyway, that's a different film. Um, maybe maybe that would have been. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. I think on numerous points, I think during our Mandalorian review, we talked about this. About um, when we were talking about Moff Gideon we were saying how director krennic feels almost like they wanted to make him grand moff tarkin but then realized that the cg wasn't going to work properly on making him the main villain so they just sort of had him in a few scenes to make him be like oh i'm like director krennic one level higher uh which really wasn't particularly useful however solo does do this a little bit by uh making dryden Voss work for darth maul for some reason um I suspect they thought the film would do better than it did and that hasn't and now it looks a little bit awkward that they fitted that in maybe they're going to tie it into the uh the kenobi thing but I don't know I I I, I doubt it if they do that would be nice but unfortunately Dryden Voss uh won't be in it because he's dead um but that's okay because he was a really good villain one of the best star wars villi- well is that true yeah, oh, he's in the middle. I'd, pr- I'd he's probably in the middle, you know. Both the sequels and the prequels both have you know a few kind of naff villains, but I think I think Try Ross sits sits above most of those. Anyway, what's his name? Paul Bettany does a superb performance. He's a very, I mean, until recently. He was been he's, he had quite an unfortunate career of having lots of really really impressive roles that never made it into the spotlight. But now that he's actually been recognised, it's really nice because he really settles into that role beautifully. Um, and his role as a sort of galactic gangster who actually has charisma, unlike someone like you know Jabba the Hutt or if any of the other gangsters that have turned up in the many Star Wars films who have kind of just amounted to being globbering sort of, I suppose, gutter thugs, where showing the sort of um, almost high society element of it, but not being like Jabba the Hutt, where everything's all creepy and kind of sadistic, where he's actually enjoying the high life, um, I think worked really well, especially for in juxtaposition to a character like um, Han, who's all about being, you know, no-nonsense, cutting through the red tape, you know, being simplistic in his lifestyle, I think that was a nice, nice way. And Beckett, in a similar fashion, although comes to a problematic way in the way they try to characterise Solo, does actually provide a nice juxtaposition to showing how a nice character can turn into, you know, a morally complex one. It does again it'll get a little bit muddled in the middle with all that, but um, yeah, again, Woodley Harrison gives a really, really solid performance for that. Thinks a shame. It's a shame that he won't be in future films but I, again I, I like I like the fact that neither of these two really good characters make it because I think they did a really good job with them. It's funny that most of the most of the characters in these new sort of spin-off films they most they all they do die. I like that. I never really realized how much I liked that. I think they should do that more with with spin-off things. People should just the people should just die. Because that's the whole idea of a spin-off. Unless the spin-off is meant to be spinning up into a whole new franchise. Which, generally speaking, is not a good move. Um, Yeah, so that's nice. Let's move on to L3. Um, The droid that made me think they'd crossed the line initially. I was wrong about that. That was a silly thing to think. And I can, though this is one where I, I I do have some sympathy for people continuing to have this thought for some reasons. There are some reasons that I I you know there are okay look there are some people who have you know called the uh, the feminist undertones of this this droid character uh, forced, but I think that would be I think it's silly to say that and it's slightly oversimplistic. And also I don't think any of the the feminist themes are ever you know. Forced into the story, there are they are a natural element of where the story goes, and as a droid. So, but where where it's complicated is that there's always a suspension of disbelief, you know, with droids, especially now. You know, it started off where, you know, you could kind of understand why, you know, R two D two, for instance, was sort of belligerent because it was in his, you know, programming to be, you know, to not listen to certain people, or why C three PO is, you know, programmed for human cyborg relations and therefore is always going to be overtly polite uh, and very agreeable and slightly irritatingly nice um, and not able to make, you know, snap decisions in an action setting. Though Those were never... I don't think anyone ever had any problem with agreeing to that. And then we move further down the line into the prequels where they become far more sort of cartoony characters um, because that was, you know, the, the tone of those movies to some extent, although obviously... They were also subject matter trying to go for an adult theme, which is kind of where some of the disconnect for me personally forms. But regardless, that was sort of like an extension of it, and people were very happy with that. And then with the uh, with with Disney helming it, we got someone like uh, BB Eight, who was far more. Um, I've just realised B B and eight are both letters that look like B B A. Anyway. Um, I think BB-8 went quite a quite a large step into being very very humanoid in their personality mostly for comic effect um and people really accepted I think people accepted it because it was the droid was extremely cute I don't disagree um I really like BB-8 um and I think the point where I started to notice it I think a lot of people started to notice it was in Rogue One, funnily enough, where um, K2, I'm going to say K2, I think it's K2, Um, is, well, for one, the best character in the film, which, again, (laughs) solidifies how bad the characters are in that film, but um, had very, you know, intense uh, sarcasm and was very opinionated and acted like a human character. And for all the problems with, with Rogue One, I think i liked the fact that it didn't it didn't really care i think that started the trend of going right droids are just characters now except they're made of metal which really just opens doors to having you know more interesting dis- discussions to be had because droids in the Star wars universe would when we you know they are used as slight slay- i mean even in the first ever star wars film they're not depicted as being you know just mindless robots they are there's a lot of very Overt um, slavery imagery in the first film—you know whether whether you think that's insensitive or not—it's undeniable that it's there. Um, and so, I think having having the droids use overtly—I mean, even bloody Rise of Skywalker had a droid who was uh, suffering from a sort of PTSD from an abusive owner, and that's a uh, Christ! That's horrible. But I love. I I really liked the fact. I mean, they could have done more with it. They should have probably explored it a little bit further. You know, overstuffing with characters—that's something that. Well, I was going to say I think all Star Wars films since the original trilogy have done that, but um, I think that's really good. And I think the fact that most people are happy to go along for the ride is nice. And I think L three is probably just the. It's just the largest extension. Of that feeling and i think it was jarring for me it was jarring for a lot of people i hate to say it because it was overt she had an overt uh, gender to her and obviously uh, a semi-explicit sexuality explored which you know was was quite jarring and it was obviously it was played for laughs but there was also within it a sort of a lingering moment in the shot where she says that it works um which, which which made a lot of people feel uncomfortable. I don't know. I think the first time I watched it, I did feel uncomfortable, although it did amuse me. Um, I think I realise now that they were they were just going for, you know, humour more than anything. But, you know, maybe they could have handled that a little bit better. Who's to say? But, you know, L3 is, you know, really, really... Oh, that was it. We were saying, yeah. So but there have been, I know there have been plenty of female droids. I know there was a, uh, is it TC-14? That's the... uh God, I shouldn't know that, should I? Uh, <laughs> the silver protocol droid from the start of uh, a Phantom, uh, Phantom Menace. And she slash they slash it were obviously kind of just used as a, oh, this is, you know, just another C-3PO character. Um, whereas now, in the sort of renaissance of, of droid characters, I suppose <laughs> you could arguably call it that. But yeah, fuck it, let's call it that. Yeah. Um, Especially since Mandalorian delved into that a little bit nicely, which I really like. Although Mandalorian has definitely gone back towards the, in many, as in most respects, towards the uh, original trilogy principle of, you know, these droids are just programmed. Their characteristics are merely, you know, sort of robotic, I suppose. But um, mind you, the Dark Troopers, they exhibit a lot of fairly, you know, human characteristics with them being... You know, extremely intelligent. Anyway, I'm getting away from myself, aren't I? Um, yeah, L3 is awkward, but really amusing and opens a lot of you know interesting doors. I think if people can accept people like me, who were dicks about it, can now accept um, L3. This sounds so stupid when I say it like this. Can accept L3 as a as a droid character. Then there's a then it's agreeing that there's a lot more interesting stuff that can be done with droid characters. And I think that's great. And and L3 is genuinely really funny. Some of the best, you know, lines in the film. It doesn't help my bias that I I realised subsequently that um, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, writer of uh, Fleabag, one of the best TV shows ever, and Killing Eve, apparently one of the best TV shows ever that I'm yet to watch but need to, and has actually apparently written some of the lines for the new James Bond film, which is very exciting. Um, She wrote at least some of the lines for... um, L three and may have had a, a once over on the whole script in general. I'm not sure about that. Actually, I'd ignore that claim because that's probably not true. Because um, she was she wasn't part of the production process. She was cast in the role and then, you know, helped out with the dialogue. And she she plays it beautifully. And you know, you can I think I think it's fairly obvious to most people who've seen her work which jokes she wrote, um, and her inclusion is really nice. Uh, however, you know, it's still <laughs> her inclusion is 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 great for all the reasons I've stated. Although they still fail the uh, the Bechtel test uh, because the only conversation that she has with Kira is uh, is about Lando, which is a shame. But um, you know, I suppose I suppose it's some of the way there. Um, all right, that's that's L three. The next thing is. Um is the story in general. Um, I thought it was very uninspired and very dull. And this is another one where I feel like I was fairly justified in thinking that, um, mostly as a result of it, me thinking it was, you know, made for me because it treads a lot of familiar areas. But I think think it's actually, now I realise it, it's actually a very intriguing and fairly original story um mostly because like uh, like mandalorian season 1 it kind of uses the main saga as a springboard not a, you know jacuzzi i suppose or whatever a bath or something it you know it, it 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 has elements of the main of the main saga but they are there to allow them to go through a door into a new room rather than actually just staying in the room and walking around staring at the floor which is what you know, Rogue One was doing. Rogue One was going, we're going to take a single line and rather than use that and propel off in another direction, we're going to continue burrowing into this. And within this one small facet, we are going to extrapolate an entire film. And that leads to the kind of sort of stretched narrative feeling that I think some, i.e. me, found was in the general Hobbit trilogy, for example, which is another you know taking of a piece of material admittedly this the the hobbit really doesn't do this as badly but it still has this it's the same effect where you're trying where you're stretching out a narrative and filling in gaps with things that you think will be interesting but then when you let the spring go and it all squashes back together it kind of squirts all over the place this is a rubbish metaphor anyway the point is um when what was my point I genuinely can't remember. Oh, yeah, no, sorry. Use, yes, using it as a springboard rather than a jacuzzi. Um, this is another another thing that did this really well was the uh, Jedi Fallen Order game was just use the events of the end of the uh, the prequel films to tell a completely original story that has the foundations set very far back. Um, unlike Oh, yeah, it was unlike Rogue One, which now Cassian, I believe is his name, I think it's Cassian, He's getting his own spin-off. So now we're going two layers deep. I think we've talked about this before. I'm getting slight deja vu, where now we've extrapolated into one small corner of the original film, and now we're extrapolating into one very, very small corner of Rogue One into a character who was not very interesting or compelling to me. So I'm going to be interested to see what they do. I mean, I hope... I hope they they make him more interesting but like most prequels you're only going to be back-ending character you know elements you're not actually going to fix original material this is kind of the biggest issue when trying to write characters beforehand it's why solo rubbed me up the wrong way so much because i i felt like it was trying to justify things about his character that i didn't feel any justifying although now i realize it wasn't made for me that's much less of a sour pill um yeah, so the the story in Solo in general of having a slave who encounters the outside world, you know, and is simply swept up and forced on this roller coaster of events while they're attempting to, you know, maintain control, which is a very, you know, Han Solo thing to happen thematically, um, is really compelling in a in a fairly you know simplistic way. You know, there are there are there are elements like Lady Proxima, for example, who I don't think is very interesting and kind of just shows up as a cool little. Nugget of world building to go. Ah, oh, I'm the evil person. Oh, I'm gone, um, which is a shame. You know, I, I don't know whether the film would have been worsely wor- worsely less less mm, less well paced. That's probably the phrase. If they decided to stay um, on that planet for a bit longer and explore his escape, but you know, in in, in retrospect, I understand they need to sort of you know catapult you into the film. Because I had a lot of characters to show you, um, but yeah, I thought I thought the story was actually you know quite intriguing and just mostly, more importantly, just really fun. I mean, the the thing that that I don't that most irritates me in a lot of into the Star Wars films that I like less is when they spend an awful lot of time just sort of sitting around and chatting and explaining why events in the plot are really, really, really important and why you should care. And Seller doesn't really do that. There are one or two key conversations that punctuate the story, which is what seems like that should be doing, rather than just being the meat of the story. They are the structure of it. Um, most of the film is just people going on adventures and getting into really bad trouble. And and, and on that, the, the cinematography... Um, as well is 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 really really unique especially in the context of a star wars film you know it's and in the action scenes it shows up the most obviously like stuff like the uh the train fight um which is definitely one of the highlights of the film i would say you know it's it's kinetic it's shaky it sort of weaves around characters and through geometry really well in a very almost matthew vaughn-esque way um Who, by the way, should definitely make a Star Wars film if they can. Um, I think, in a way, they should have got him to do elements of the sequel trilogy. I think he would have blended really well with that. But anyway, um, it's quite, you know, I don't think it's, it's, I don't think it's, you know, breaking any like you know barriers in the world of of shooting movies. You know, it's about you know at the level of like I say a Matthew Vaughn film, which is you know. Experimental, experimental in its own way although obviously not you know I'm not I'm not I'm not calling it I'm not calling this film you know it's not an alfonso cuaron film basically um but ron howard who re- I should probably I should probably look into a little bit more I don't I probably don't give him the credit he deserves although he did make that beatles documentary which I thought was really good um but yeah I think the the story being unique and the style of making the film being equally unique. Oh, and the score as well. That these all, you know, contribute really well to making this feel very separate. Again, makes part of my brain feel like it shouldn't be a Star Wars film, but nonetheless, you know. Um, yeah, the score is is was was really great. It's not as unique as Mandalorian score. Um, but it felt distant enough from from the John Williams uh sort of bright, swelling, majestic um scores of the of the main saga, and to some extent Rogue One, that it does it does feel it feels much more chaotic, you know. If and it feels almost kind of you know it feels mysterious and a little bit more sort of dark and edgy, for want of a better phrase. You know, it gives it the feel of of it being an untold story, you know, which in of itself has its benefits and its pitfalls, as to be expected. Um but yeah, I just on on the whole, you know, it's paced pretty well, consistently. You know, the characters are all you know very fun to be around, and it presents a really interesting, you know, new narrative that you know doesn't. I don't think you know shits on any of the existing, I suppose, world building and lore canon in a particular way that I understand it. Um, characters are another matter entirely that we'll get to, um, but that introduces you know interesting villains, interesting concepts. And, star- and quite a lot of material that is actually going to help propel Star Wars films slash TV shows in the future. I hope, though I feel like I have unfortunately been uh, unwittingly a part of the movement that made this film largely forgotten, which I can only apologise for, I suppose. Um, and that's why I'm doing something like this, because I can maybe make up for it and maybe go, if you only watched it once and then decided you hated it, watch it again. It's on Disney+. Um, you know, don't don't buy it yourself, you know, use someone else's, you know. We're not stupid. Um I would really recommend it more than I'd recommend Rogue One, because Rogue One is, is great. That's that's the thing, that's the key point. Rogue One wasn't made for the new people, wasn't made for the newcomers to the sequel trilogy. Because the people who watch who started with the sequel trilogy watching Rogue One aren't gonna have a clue what's going on. They're gonna be going, why do you want the plans for a Death Star when you've already killed it? You know, there's already been a there's already been two subsequent Death Stars since that one. Uh in in the films that you've been watching, and it just it feels bizarre. So that was very obviously there to appease the original Star Wars fans, quite why original Star Wars fans needed to be appeased after watching The Force Awakens, which obviously thematically draws a lot of uh similar points from it, which is good by the way, I think. You know, not having a go at it. Um But Solo made it arguably I think the right marketing choice of deciding that, you know, people should be if they're gonna be introduced to a character from an early age, they may as well start from scratch and show Disney's view of what that character should be. Now on that, this is probably where we get to the bits where I wasn't wrong about there were because there were still some things that I still think I was right about I might be convinced otherwise in the future who's to say um, but um, I said I was mostly wrong, I didn't say I was entirely wrong, that's why I can get away with doing this and I'll try and be quick about this because like I say I'm trying to make this positive um, but don't worry because most of my criticisms come from as I said general, I guess what we call prequelitis where well let's just go through it so the central conceit of of all prequels is, weirdly, even though it's not always addressed as such, the central conceit of any prequel film is that you are not actually watching the most important story that you could be being told. Because there's a, there's a general kind of agreement or pattern or trend amongst good writing, in which when you tell an original story, that the protagonists and main characters in your stories, the, the story you are telling is the most important story or the the most important week of their life. Like the most, most interesting part of their lives should be where your story is set. And if it isn't, then you better give a good reason for why it isn't. Um, and where most of us could probably agree that the original trilogy is very much, uh, subscribes to that sort of, that general hypothesis, that general attempt for Han, Leia and Luke. Um, you then have an issue of, as soon as you try and go before that, you, if you're going to be including those characters, you better have a damn good reason for for bothering us with this crap. Um, now, luckily, in the case of the Star Wars prequels, obviously most of the characters that are there aren't actually in the original trilogy. You know, people like Yoda obviously are there and Obi-Wan. And, you know, Obi-Wan's a weird one because Obi-Wan during the prequels doesn't actually get much, you know... Much of a character arc, as such, you know, he's given characterizations which affect his, you know, his decisions, but the, he his point of view very rarely changes throughout the films, which I don't think is a problem because I think if it, you know, considering how some of the the arcs go a little bit, you know, f- fuzzy in those films, I'm going to get in trouble with my friend now. Um, I think it's nice that characters like Obi Wan are more of a staple. You know, he is. I really do think that Ewan McGregor his Obi Wan is the main pillar that, that that holds the prequels together. And, you you know, you need that. You know, the sequels have a, have a similar thing where, you know, they need, the, in, in some parts, they do need the original cast to hold it together, especially Luke in The Last Jedi. You know, there are a lot of things about The Last Jedi which I, you know, I forgive and I let go because of how well Mark Hamill holds that story together. But anyway, we're not talking about that. So, you know, when, so when you're writing a new story with a character... If it's set after um, the original events, then you can kind of get away with a lot of a lot of the issues of of not telling the most interesting story because you are at least dealing with the repercussions of that interesting story. Whereas with a prequel, you're having to, as a writer, do a lot more justification for why you're bothering. Because if people are able to understand what happened in that original piece of material, then the prequel shouldn't be necessary. And so as soon as you're watching a prequel, you're almost, in my view, I always find this, I'm suspicious of what I haven't been told or what it's planning on changing about original material, especially when it comes to a character like Han Solo. Although I, I wonder, I, you know, in, in this case, I, I. you know what, I think this film happened, I'm now convinced, because of the whole Han shot first thing. Because that is famously the scene which has been shifted and changed and re-edited like it's at least like ten times at this point. It's ridiculous, like how many issues there are of the uh, original Star Wars film in which that sh- that scene has been recut or even in parts, you know, digitally adjusted in order to make Han a different character. Um, and there's there's no small amount of trying to set the record straight, I suppose, with a film like this in which they very obviously have Han shoot first, which is a part of the film I I really like. You know, there's a lot of fan wank in it, and a lot of it is forced. But in in that instance, I think it was a that was a generally great little thing, and it didn't draw attention to itself as well. You know, it was it was appreciated to those of us who knew, but obviously for most, you know, for, for the new audience, that would that would have just been a very natural extension of the character and the the story as a whole. Which is, <laughs> by the way, filmmakers, that's how you do, you know, prequalizing characterizations and doing fan service you don't rub it in people's faces we'll get to that um i suspect that's why it happened and also in that disney obviously wanted to kind of make han the character they wanted him to be which is to say not necessarily the way that people imagine him being or people have you know sort of what most people see han as being especially you know Oh, I'm gonna tell. I'm gonna skip through a lot of my points to get to this. Okay, so the characterization of Han himself is one of the things I was not wrong about this movie. For it's, I have, I still have a lot of kind of weird feelings about the way they do it. The, the generally speaking, it boils down to being overly simplistic, which again is born out of the fact that they're just trying to give a summary view of of, of Han as a character, which is absolutely fine. I get it. Fair enough. You know, good on you. But he begins and ends the story. As a good person with the really the only exception being that he shot first but he shot first at a character who was at the time essentially one of the bad guys um so it does beg the question what the movie was was for and that's kind of why i I feel like i've I, f- I feel like that's the only conclusion I can kind of come to is that they just wanted to Set the record straight and assure people: Don't worry, Han is a good character. Look, we showed him being really nice in this film, which I understand, um, but it does make this film look like it's a, an excuse movie, um, and obviously a bit of a cash grab. I you know I can't hate it, you know, for being a bit cynical, but it annoys me because. <sighs> I don't know. I don't think people had a problem with the fact that when Han turned up in A New Hope, he was a dick and had no interest in being part of the Rebellion and was really only interested in saving himself. You know, that was was an interesting character. He was the first one who had been come across who didn't have this, you know, sort of misty-eyed, staring into the sunset view of, of the world, which was a really, really important... You know, kind of, I suppose, acid to cut through the richness of the film up, you know, that had been up till that point. But I feel like the way that the, the way that Han as a character ends in Solo, is is very much the way that Han is, let's say, in the middle of The Empire Strikes Back, where he's sort of, you know, he's still quite cold, but generally very happy to be part of the rebellion and do the right thing, even when it means he has to sacrifice personal gains because that's what he does at the end of this film and no less to the rebellion themselves and he does that knowingly um and there's even a strange (laughs) bit of of horrendously irritating expository dialogue where kira uh han's love interest says to him everyone here think you know thinks you're the bad guy and you think you're the bad guy but i know you're the good guy and it came across as absolutely hilarious because I can't understand why anyone would even slightly believe that Han was being a bad character. Even Han in the film acts as if he thinks he's the bad character, despite the fact that he's done very little wrong and harmed very few people, uh, except for you know incidental things which he hadn't intended to do. Um, and this is what this is what makes me feel odd about this whole prequelitis thing, because what happened between Solo and A New Hope. I've now got to wonder annoyingly. This is what the film has kind of done to me because I now have to think what happened in the interim between Solo and that which has made him so jaded as to act in the sort of perversely, almost nasty way that he does in A New Hope where he's only looking for personal gain. It makes me think that that would have been a more interesting story than what we got to see which was essentially a run-through of all, of all of his poster characteristics, not his actual, genuine character motivations. Again, it's not made for me, that's why they did that, but it's annoying. Um, because this... I mean, I'm trying to think of an aspect of Han Solo's aesthetic, um, aesthetic. That's a key point, aesthetic, which isn't established in this film. Because he gets his gun, he gets his ship, and its, <laughs> and its specific appearance... And its specific features and its navigation system and its ability to do the castle run in a specified number of you know, units of distance, not time. That was another one which was like they kind of they hammed it up a little bit too much on that one. I feel like no one really cared that George Lucas didn't know how science worked. It was just agreed that it was a fun, silly little thing. anyway, who cares, whatever. He got his he got his fucking name and yeah, obviously. My mind has not changed on that. I fucking hate it. It's hilariously stupid. Um, like, we get it. He's called Han Solo because he's alone. Like, I feel like most of us have put that together. That's like, you know, I know from George, you know, George Lucas isn't the most subtle guy in the world. We kind of all realize that's why he was called that. It feels a bit stupid to spend, you know, a few minutes in a scene blatantly saying it aloud. Like, even for the people who didn't know who he was as a character beforehand i feel like they could have probably put that together i mean the film isn't called han solo it's called solo you know i i just i feel like that was and it is about him going solo anyway fuck it who cares um they show him getting his partner in Chewie. you know which is nice i you know chewy's a a fun inclusion he always is he's one of the Probably one of the only untainted Star Wars characters because even when he turns up in a movie like this, no one really cares that you know it's kind of a they just sort of meet and Han can already speak Wookiee and therefore he's fine. I mean it's fun. I don't again. I don't mind bringing that. It doesn't matter. I mean yeah. What else does Han? What else on the on the poster does Han get? He doesn't get his jacket. Doesn't get his vesty jacket. That's a yeah. They should have done that, shouldn't they? Um, although he did get all of his known associations, like you know his connection to Jabba and the idea of him having a price on his head um, and being an outlaw and being a gunslinger and being a good pilot for some reason. I don't know why he's a good pilot. That's another thing that was weird. They never really explained why he was a good pilot. He was That wasn't really what he did. Anyway, um, I'm not actually... I'm, it sounds like I'm whinging about these a lot. I just... It's annoying that they felt the need to do this, just like they felt the need to connect Dryden Voss to Darth Maul. It's just it's pointless. It's there to make people go, ooh, in the cinema. Which is a, a fleeting high, I would say, if at all. Um it is hard to think of something about his, anything about his personality that isn't established in some haphazard way in this film. You know. It's it's a weird thing. The audience that the audience doesn't need to know everything. You know, leave fans alone for 10 minutes with a fucking screenshot of a you know a new character or a new part of a film and you'll have three weeks at least worth of internet crazies making speculation on how it's you know definitely referencing their favorite character from a really obscure comic from 30 years ago you know I know this firsthand I was a massive fan of the Arkham franchise when we got that screenshot of the Arkham Knight I was subject to an entire year's worth of people claiming that it was every single character in the DC universe, one after the other, each as ridiculous as the last. But, but that was that was fun, and people can do that. You really don't need to tell the audience what to what to speculate about; they'll do it. If your if your story is good, people will latch on to it. So uh, that's all you have to. I feel like I'm teaching them how to suck eggs there, and I'm sure they realize that. But fuck it. I wouldn't be a critic if I wasn't being a complete arsehole about people who can make things and all I can do is criticise. Anyway. um, Yeah. Then we've got other characters. So even though there are plenty of new characters which I really like, um, mainly L3, John Voss, and Beckett, there are a fair few um, underdeveloped side characters. So Val, for instance, Yeah, Val. Remember her? No, didn't think so. Um, She was a potentially really interesting character who was a love interest for Beckett, who dies on their first mission, and really only comes to represent Beckett being sad, uh, which is, you know, typical writing of female characters in big-budget fiction, but whatever. And then there's Rio, the pilot, who, who also dies on their first mission, who seems to only serve for the exact same purpose of as he dies, he literally tells Han, "It's not very nice dying alone." Um, which, again, I didn't feel like that was a that was a character thing that that Han needed to know about. I mean, his entire sort of philosophy as a character throughout the film was about trying to get back to Kira. He wasn't trying to run away from her. Um, oh, and obviously, he was you know died because Han needed to be a pilot because they couldn't think of a better way of doing that. But I mean, again, both those both those roles are, are actually very nicely performed. To be fair. And I didn't even realise until this time that it was John Favreau playing uh, Rio, so that was fun. Um, and then we've got Lando, who I'm in so many thoughts about, because Lando is... On the one hand, Donald Glover gives a great performance. Again, in the same way that Aldrich gave a great performance of the um, physical characteristics and mannerisms, I think Lando did the exact same thing. or oh, sorry, Donald did the exact same thing for Lando um the main issue was that Lando kind of got fell by the wayside as a character I mean I think even L3 was given was given more sort of to do than him which I was which I'm fine with because L3 is a new character and interesting and dies by the way um, <laughs> but it's it was unfortunate I think that they felt the need to to include him especially since Lando isn't even a particularly important part of the sequel so people didn't really i know he's in rise of skywalker but he might as well not have been let's face it um yeah what else did lando do he was just there to give han the falcon again the falcon i can forgive a bit more you know for a film called solo even i would have had to include the falcon in some way whether i would have made it about the origins of him getting it i don't know you know it could very easily have stayed um you know, it's could have it stayed Lando's by the end of the film. Who's to say? You, you've got to leave some things to happen. This was the, this is the thing that, that that came up when they established everything about him, because there's meant to be like at least like a few years between Solo and A New Hope, and it's hard to think like what what happened between them. Like nothing. Like they could, apart from their you know mishap characterisation, they could travel straight from the end of this film to the start of A New Hope. Without a hitch, they have everything they needed, um, which is unfortunate in a way, because it kind of breaks the immersion of a of a story like this. Anyway, the characters, yeah. Then then we've got Kira, who is who's nearly a really good character. She's not bad at all, but I feel like she was I've, she was largely ignored. For most of the film and she seemed to be used merely as a motivational tool for Han's vague desire to not do crime and not be alone which is just like Val as a character was just with, with slightly less screen time you know but, but, it, but, but it was it felt more almost more forced in the sense of Kira because like I say she was there to convince Han that you know he shouldn't do crime or to, to juxtapose you know his slight slant into being a criminal. Despite the fact that she is also a criminal, and it was fairly obvious from the outset, <coughs> and by the end, that Harm was never going to do anything that particularly bad, and he doesn't, so it doesn't really come to fruition. Um, I, I do, but I do appreciate that that Kira's actions by the end does actually have a consequence. You know, she is a really important uh, character in the the final standoff, which is a you know a fantastic. Finale. I really like the fact that this film's finale is a kind of weird um, Mexican standoff in a sort of space gangster setting. I really like that with a sort of heisty motif to it. It's brilliant. It's executed fantastically. And Kira is a really interesting addition to it, and especially with her kind of being the last person standing. So, again, whether they're going to include the Crimson Dawn and Darth Maul in this uh, the new Obi Wan series, it would maybe be nice to include Kira if they can, because you know she I think she got largely ignored by this film, but I think she has the potential to have some really interesting stuff with, done with her. Who's to say though? I'm not quite sure. Um, so yeah, it does it does make the film film feel, feel quite overstuffed with with characters that don't have an awful lot going for them. However i mean compared to rogue one yeah these characters are practically shakespearean but um it's still you know it's still that still could have been better um and other than that i think d- during the story even though it's it was very interesting and exciting there was as with a lot of you know elements of sort of i suppose what they call disneyfication of stories there is a general lack of peril you know there is what the DVD box sets would call mild peril in this film. The Kessel one's a great example of this, where you know you you know I mean, obviously yeah, look, obvious prequelizers problems. You know that there are several main characters and main items of plot on board that you know they're not going to die. Um, but because <laughs> I don't know how to explain it. I think it's probably a this is probably actually a pacing issue more than it is, I suppose a, a a peril issue. I think by the time you get to the point where they have the uh the coaxium, whatever it's called, the the hyperfuel, that really should have been the the sort of setting off point where they go to Dryden voss, where the real finale happens. But I feel like Born out of a desire to make it as sort of action-packed as possible, they continue doing this Kessel run, which thematically and in practice in the film to me doesn't really doesn't really do very much apart from present some kind of cool visuals. Although again, this is another thing about the film that's quite irritating: is it has a quite an annoying aesthetic, even though the cinematography I think is really good and it's edited very nicely. Um, in terms of, yeah, I mean, pacing, I suppose. Um, the colouring and sort of um, post-production is kind of bizarre. I think I realised they were going for, like I say, the gritty, down-to-earth, rugged aesthetic to juxtapose a lot of the other films, especially something like Rogue One. But it came, it comes across as very flat, a little bit too dark um, at most points. And the Kessa run was a classic example of that, whereas even... You know, me in a dark room, watching it on quite a bright screen. There were lots of things on the screen that were very, very difficult to discern. Which is a shame, because, you know, like I say, there was some, there is some really interesting stuff going on on the screen. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of this stuff, like I say, it's all born out of general prequel problems, and this, they, these problems are never not going to exist, you know. Um, and, you know, if you want us to talk about more about that... We're going to because our next episode of the X Men um, X Marathon is going to be all on the uh, the prequel films, so that will be very interesting to see to see how we uh, how we react to that because the pantheon of pop culture prequels now has reached hilarious levels, especially with something like this um, existing is is bizarre and would have been absolutely hilarious to to me if you told me about 10 years ago that this film would have been made but then again that was before disney bought star wars so who's to say so yeah on the whole i used to give solo a star wars story about a high five and i'm now giving it a really really high six pushing i think towards low seven territory I think this might. This is. I think this is a really good film, um, which has the potential to be excellent, but squandered quite a lot of it, and it's very, very annoying. And I likely won't watch it again unless someone I meet, uh, who doesn't like it, uh, wants to express a nasty opinion about it. Because I now realise where I was wrong, and I look forward to coming back in another, you know, three years' time to explain why I actually. Think this is one of the best films ever made, so that'll be fun. Um, you know, I was gonna, I was gonna rank all the Star Wars films, but I think that actually might be a step too far to do without my friend because that's gonna be a bloodbath of of a discussion. Suffice to say that yeah, he's not gonna like where I. He might be okay where I put Solo. Crucially, I think I can say this: I now put it above Rogue One. If that wasn't obvious, admittedly, only just above Rogue One. But still above Rogue One and, I think, above Rise of Skywalker, which is nice for me because when that first came out I really quite liked Rise of Skywalker. They've kind of swapped positions, Solo and Rise of Skywalker, in my head. I never thought that would happen and that's very, very bizarre and I'm very glad that I might now not hate so many Star Wars things in the future. Look at me being an adult all right fine you
0: can go now i'm sorry and now a word from the other half of the podcast i think there's some incredible scenes in this film i think this film's existence is pointless but it's a lot of fun and if star wars should be anything it should be fun uh woody harrelson paul Bettany, and Alden emmerich or uh, however you say his name uh give stellar performances um and also the crystal skull from indiana jones is in Dryden Boss's office. And I really enjoy that fact because the spirit of this movie is very much the obligatory Star Wars scene that revels in the short feature action adventure stories. Um, it a kind of 1930s, 40s and 50s, the Indiana Jones and most of George Lucas's output revels in. So it's, I, I do still feel like it's very true tonally to uh, you know, what Star Wars does. And um, yeah, I give Solo a six out of 10. I think that um, the guy who plays Solo um, is the best performance. And also he's really good in a film called Hail Caesar, which is a Coen Brothers film, you should check it out. Uh, and the best scene is the final visit to Dryden Vos's office. Anyway, I've got a game of sabacc to play and a castle to run.